Welcome to a ride on the outside. MMA is full of people on the inside, but what about the ones that watch from beyond? Welcome to the MMA Outsiders with Tom Albano and Zan Bando on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Wait a minute, Pat Dana, you're joining me this week. Where's Zan? I don't know. I don't know. I had to had to step in and you know take Zan's shoes for the week. I know I stepped in for you a couple weeks ago, but had to had to switch it up this time and do a show with you. You know. All right, fair enough. So welcome <laughs> to episode seventy-two of the MMA Outsiders. Uh, I'm Tom Alvano. That's Patrick Dana. Usually we call him producer Pat, but like as he said, Pat Dana stepping into the co-host role as Zan Bando is off this week a lot that we have to break down so pat i'm actually really glad to have you this week because i want to get some some of your insight on the topics that we're going to be talking about here because we got a lot that we got to break down 298 just happened new featherweight champion Ilya tapura the new king at 145 spectacular performance spectacular finish and we got a couple of big cards this weekend PFL versus Bellator, UFC in Mexico City. It's going to be an absolute blast. That It's a lot that we have to go through this week. But before we get into any of that, hit the like button, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you get notified of everything here at the Empty the Bench Network. Make sure to follow us across social media, Facebook, Instagram, and the platform that is now known as X, which is the former Twitter. Uh, you can check all that out at MMA Outsiders ETB. In addition, uh, you can follow the Empty the Bench Network on Facebook, X, Instagram, and TikTok at ETB Network. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube home, youtube.com slash ETB Network on the climb to 700 subscribers. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, we thank you so much. Don't forget to take empty, the MMA Outsiders and the Empty the Bench Network on the road with you on ACAST, Spotify, our podcasts, and all our audio-only platforms. If you are listening on those audio-only platforms, we thank you, and we want you to also Come to the YouTube home. Uh, go to etvpodcast.com for more uh, information about the network, plus content, blogging content from some of our contributors. Uh, that, of course, is Pat Dana. That's not Sam Bando this week. <laughs> this is Patrick Dana, usually our producer, uh, still our producer, but filling in for Sam this week. You can He's a journalist for Combat Sports UK, and you can follow him at Pat Dana MMA. And Don Salavano, contributor to MMA News, fan-sided MMA. And I'll be starting my run with the PFL for 2024 this Saturday with the PFL versus Bellator for their website. So I'll be all over that. So make sure to stay tuned with me for updates for that card. And you can follow me on social media at Thomas J. Aldano. Also, one shout-out to the new network sponsor. Well, it's not a new sponsor. They've been with us since Football Friday. And now that partnership has expanded. So this edition of the MMA Outsiders, of course, is presented by Wolf Spreads. Are you looking to get involved in the action while rooting for your favorite team? Have you ever had a friendly debate on who can pick more games correctly? Does all this talk about parlays, lines, and over-unders make your head spin? And you want to learn more about the sports betting hoopla? Gamble with us and come check out Wolf Spreads. So for all this time with the during the NFL season, we have run sports betting competitions completely free on Wolf Spreads. Here's how it works. Everybody gets 2000 fantasy dollars, fake money, to bet on games with. Whoever can profit the most of their $2,000 bankroll wins. And if you're not an NFL fan, and of course the NFL season's over, so you need more, 
stuff to bet on, to do the fantasy bets, to do the competitions with. Don't worry. Wolf Spreads has competitions available for the NBA, MLB, NHL, college football, college basketball, all that, so much more. Put fantasy dollars on the over-under, the money line, or the spreads. Competing for bragging rights with your fellow players while watching, while having additional fun watching sports. And not risking losing your house in the process. Wolf Spreads, sports betting for friends who love the action. All right. And if there's one, two people who love the action, it's us. Yeah. And we're talking about a lot of, uh, a lot of bashing your face in kind of action. Yeah, most definitely. And as, right. you, and as you said, Tom, we have a busy week. We had, we had a busy week past this past week, and we have a lot to talk about here. There's some yeah. big news in MMA this week. Big news. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into the thing. We're not going to do a recap or previews because the big talking point at this point is the UFC 300 card. It's a little less than two months away, and we finally have a main event, and it's Alex Pereira versus Jamal Hill for the light heavyweight title. Uh, so we, Dan and I talked last week, you know, Hamza Chimaya, they tried to get in, uh, but visa issues with the dealing with the U S travel, wasn't going to work. They were desperate to try to get John Jones to maybe fight Tom Aspinall in an undisputed title fight. But John Jones, of course, still recovering from his torn pec. So he's not going to be ready. They even had talk about Leon Edwards, uh, versus Bilal, but of course they didn't want to do that. They had, according to Ariel Hawani, three opponents potential for Leon Edwards. Leon said yes to all of them and all the others. Hamzat with his visa issues. Shavkat Rachmanov and a champ versus champ fight with Islam Makashev. All three of them said no. Two of them because of, at least two of them is because Ramadan, which we already talked about last week when we saw that post mid-recording from Hamzat saying, I'm not fighting during Ramadan. So... UFC, and of course, the UFC didn't want Bilal Muhammad to main event UFC 300. The last talk we had heard potentially was Israel versus Drickus Duplessis for UFC 300. And Pat, according to sources you talked that you talked to, that seemed to be the plan, especially because we saw that clip. I don't know if we talked about it on the episode, but I saw it later in the week the clip from Eugene Berman, say, uh, it, one of Israel Adesanya's coaches, saying that Izzy was in camp and ready to go. Yeah, no, I think that um, my source was definitely accurate, accurate. and I feel like, uh, like I don't know what happened. I feel like they had to pivot last minute due to situations with Drikas, because like you said, it seems like Izzy was ready to take the fight, but I don't know if Drikas was, and from what I know, that was nearly a done deal, but they ended up opting with Pereira Hill. I mean, I would heard... This is not from any sort of source. This is just browsing through the MMA Twitter space mm-hmm. that maybe some sort of injury to either Drickus or Israel has forced a little postponement of this. And we'll talk yeah. about that But when we do our, like we do with, like I do with Xander, future matchmaking, future scheduling of what Drickus this is as he could be. Nevertheless, we are stuck with Pereira versus Hill, which we thought was going to main event UFC 301, which we'll talk about because that got confirmed on Saturday for May 4th in Rio. I want to take a little pause here because Zan did provide a couple of audio recordings to share his thoughts on some topics. This is one of them. Let me throw it over to Zan right now. Uh, this is Zan Bander from the MMA Outsiders just doing a quick reaction audio recording in my absence of tomorrow's episode 72 regarding UFC 300 being headlined by Alex Pereira versus Jamal Hill for the UFC Light Championship. Want to get something out of the way really quick? 
I think that the UFC was dealt a forced hand. There's no Conor McGregor. There's no John Jones. There's not even a possibility of Brock Lesnar. Reasons are obvious for that. I think given who was available, this was the fight the UFC had to make. There was also the possibility of Leon Edwards versus Bilal Muhammad. But as we all know, that fight lacks the star power that the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship does. And I think that's partially the reason why um, this this fight was booked was simply because of that. And I think it's something that I think fans need to be wary of. You know, UFC 200 was Misha Tate versus Amanda Nunes. Uh, that's a fight that was not the original main event. Uh, UFC 100 was a little bit of a bigger scale. You had Brock Lesnar versus Frank Mir. And I think it's just the evolution of the sport. You're going to get, you know, three really good cards in a row, like we're getting with 298, 299, and 300. And if you look at 300 as a holistic card, this is a B plus, A minus level uh, main event, and or B plus, A minus level card. And I think, you know, when you put the main event on top of it, you know, not everyone's going to be happy, but I think, you know, this is the kind of thing that the UFC tells you, you know, we have a menu of fights, you know, you either like Dana White Contender Series, you like UFC Fight Nights, or you like UFC Pay-Per-Views. And I think this is one of those scenarios where um, you have to understand what the consumer wants and not every uh, consumer is going to want, um, uh, is going to want um, Pereira versus Hill while other consumers may have wanted Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler or Nate Diaz. So this was the hand the UFC was dealt, and those are my thoughts on the 300 main event. It is going to deliver. I'm not worried about that. I think it was just the fan reception, and I think it was definitely very mixed. So, Pat, I mean, I understand Zan's point that it looks like the UFC, and like we were just talking about, didn't really have much of a choice. They needed a main event, and I think they're putting a lot of, you know, that Alex Pereira, Considering all that he's done in his short time in the UFC with his feud with Izzy and winning the light heavyweight title, becoming a two-division champ in such a short time in MMA that he's got all the star power and that maybe he's what is needed at this point for UFC 300. But considering, you know, Izzy and Drickus, considering Connor Chandler, which we'll get into, I can't help Pat but feel a little bit of disappointment at this. Oh, I mean, there definitely has to be some disappointment. Dana's words after UFC 297 were that we weren't going to be able to handle the main event. And I'm sorry, but everyone already thought this fight was going to headline UFC 301. I mean, I'm pretty sure that was the plan and that it just got pushed back. So the fact that Dana acted like it was this thing we were never going to hear of makes me think that he was working on something else at that time that they were forced last minute. I mean, Jamal Hill said that this fight was offered to him on Friday. And I think it might have been already offered for 301, but offered for 300. He said it was offered to him on Friday. So I don't know how that, I don't know how you can think that the UFC wasn't forced to work out something last minute. It had to be a last minute option. It had to be, you know, just a last resort, basically, because they didn't want this fight to headline 300. They wanted it to headline 301. Right. And, I mean, I get it in terms of the championship, like, structure, but it, when you look at those fights, because now I can't say UFC 300 is a bad card, because you look at all the star power and all the matchups on there, you know, I mean, you just look at the undercard with Aljamain Sterling 
making his featherweight debut, Kayla Harrison making her UFC debut, Charles Oliveira returning to the cage, Yuri Prohaska returning to the cage. You know, there's a lot of names and a lot of interesting matchups for this card. Definitely. But when And I was talking about this with Sam. I think we maybe were in a little bit of a disagreement. But you look mm-hmm. at this fight, and then you look at um, the women's strawweight title fight between Weili Zhang and Yang Zhanan, and, and the BMF title fight between Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway. Because if, from what Dana's comments at the press conference were, it seems that Whaley versus Yan is going to be the co-main event, and yes. Justin Gaethje, Max Holloway is third from the top. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to come off sounding like some of these MMA Twitter assholes or some of these particular YouTubers, you know, who <laughs> want to make, you know, chauvinistic kind of comments. But I can't believe we're going to book Justin Gaethje versus Max Holloway, fake belt or not, under the women's strawweight title fight. I guess the, it would be to set the precedent that the actual titles still matter more than the BMF title. I mean, obviously, they're giving the BMF title enough credit to keep it going this far in. But I think they want to, you know, show that the actual titles still mean a lot more than something which, like that. And which, that's Pat is, think of. which Pat is understandable. But then why do we have a, the BMF title belt? Because if it wasn't for the fact that they're trying to promote this as a title fight. You know, I would be understand Justin Gaethje versus Max Holloway. Although, to be fair, I'm more hyped for Justin Gaethje versus Max Holloway than I am for Alex Pereira versus Jamal Hill. I think yeah. Gaethje and Holloway have the star power that they could have been the main event of UFC 300. Hell yeah. I mean, John Anik said at the uh, fan Q&A that he thought Gaethje Holloway would end up as the main event of 300. And I don't think that really would have really would have hurt anyone to see that fight as the main no. event as long as you know the rest of the card was good and it's great so and to, and to be very honest with you and i told Sam this too because i know he loves this fight <laughs> i'm more excited for gaichi holloway and i'm more excited for Li zhang versus uh young Shanan than i am for alex Pereira versus jamal hill Man, I just wish Wei Li and Yan got to fight in China. Because from what I know, I mean, that fight would be so big in China. Because, like, Yan is, like, a heel. And Wei Li is, like, their their star and, like, the one they all root for. So I feel like that fight would have just been so big over there to the point where I would have loved to see how it would look in an arena in China. But the fight's great. Yan yeah. Nan is very solid. I mean, she just... I watched her knock out Andrade in person. And then I, I also watched that same night. Wei Li dominate Amanda Lemos, and they're both they're both probably the best women at the weight class right now, and it's definitely a good fight. I just, you know, I just wish it was happening in a different place. I know, and I agree with you. I guess it's just sometimes a little hard to get cards over in China that this is what they're left with. And number ten, yeah. number two, I guess they're trying their best to keep them. You know, like they're gonna have this fight, and then they're gonna do the note. I assume they're saving Valentina and Grasso for no UFC to be that main event, which we'll talk about when we do the little matchmaking scheduling. I'm wondering if that's going to become paper. Um, and I'm wondering if you know they're saving that for that, so that way, as long as Whaley wins this fight, she can move up and challenge the winner of Grasso Shevchenko three in a super fight. That would honestly be perfect. I mean, that's a fight that I think we would all like to see and i think that way lee has been has been a good enough champion that you can justify her going up to double champion status at this point without 
you know, without any real controversy, like, mm-hmm. oh, she should be defending in her weight class. And and you, no. and you want to talk about her popularity in China. Could you mm-hmm. imagine if she becomes a champ champ, what that's going to do for her in China and globally? And, yeah, I was going to say, even in the USA, I mean, she'd be one of the only women's champ champs ever. And I mean... She probably could be. She probably could be, to be honest. I could see her beating both Grasso and Shevchenko if she fights the right way. So I'd be, I'd be very interested to see it, to be honest. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a little dis- I like I like the match. Pereira versus Hill. It's deserved. You know, Pereira, Yuri. Mm-hmm. We talked about the puzzling picture of light heavyweight. Jamal Hill obviously never lost his title in the cage. He got an injury, was forced to vacate. But, you know, as a UFC 300 main event, and you know what's funny? When you, when Jamal Hill was shown on camera at 298, mm-hmm. he didn't really get a really positive fan reaction. And I'm and really? like some people on MMA Twitter, I'm wondering if some of that is because of some, some of the comments he's had over the past year that maybe have rubbed some fans the wrong way. Yeah, it seems like while he's been out of competition, he might have lost a couple fans due to his antics on social media and his antics outside of the cage i know he had the arrests with beating up his brother and stuff like that so there's definitely been some some issues with jamal that might have turned a couple fans against him i feel like most people still like jamal but it definitely is one of those situations where he ha- his stock hasn't rose since he got hurt it's definitely went down a bit yeah so the only thing i can think of like i said is alex Pereira and his name and his star power coming over from kickboxing doing all he's done in mma so well, wait, wait. Well, also, let's not forget. I mean, Alex Pereira was in Glover Teixeira's corner when Jamal Hill put the beating on him. So yeah. that's that's and then it sucks because that happened so long ago that a lot of people are forgetting about that storyline. And I really hope it gets brought back up in the lead up to this fight because it's a very massive storyline. Pereira's it, already beat Yuri. He's already beat Yan. I mean, he's already beaten a couple of the guys that Glover had fought. So. Mm-hmm. This would be another big, big moment for Pereira's career if he can take out Jamal Hill. Absolutely. Uh, I say it's just a shame that light heavyweight at this point, you know, is such a cursed division. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about Pereira because one thing I did say, because I had done a little reaction video on social media, on our social media mm-hmm. about this, and I said, this smells to me one of two things is that, you know, 301. This means, hey, either they see enough in Alex Pantoja that they'll be willing to have him as a main event defend against the Moreno Royal winner from this Saturday, or the issues with Hamza, the visa issues. Maybe they're saying, okay, maybe if we put them in Brazil, he won't run into those visa issues. And basically, that was my initial instinct was that, you know, oh, we need a main event for 300. The U.S. government's not letting Hamza. We'll just do let's switch a and we'll just settle it that way. But then over the last 24 hours, Alex Pereira on his YouTube channel discussed being the UFC 300 main event. And now, apparently, he is hoping to do a 21-day turnaround, defend the light heavyweight title, against Jamal Hill at UFC 300, beat him, and then defend the light heavyweight title in his home country of Brazil at UFC 301. I mean, if he somehow is able to do this, it would be monumental. I mean, I think they said that the closest turnaround between championship title defenses was 50... Well, well, no, because Figgy won the title in one of those. So these are both defenses. They said it was... Yeah, it was 56 days for Ronda Rousey with back-to-back title defenses 
And I, I knew it. Ha- I knew how to be either Ronda Rousey or mm-hmm. Tito Ortiz. Yeah, and he absolutely would smash that record with 21 days with the 21 day turnaround if he is able to do that. Uh, the problem is, I mean, is that even realistic if he doesn't knock out Jamal in the first round? If that fight goes at least 10 minutes, he's gonna take some take some blows. I mean, I don't know how. I don't know how realistic it is that he's able to turn around unless he goes in there, sparks Jamal, and then gets right out. So, I don't know. That's the only thing that I can think of is he thinks the Jamal Hill fight is going to be a quick enough fight or that Mm -hmm. he's not going to take as much damage. Maybe it's a grapple fest that he can do some sort of turnaround. I guess. The last time, because the last time we had anything like this was end of 2020 where you had Moreno beating Royval in their first fight, mm-hmm. and then Figgy defending the title. Was it against Alex Perez? Alex Perez, yes. And then Dana in a last minute because two ninety, I mean two fifty six. You know, you had a whole bunch of title fights falling out on that one. That he that night said, "Okay, Moreno, Figgy, sit down here. I'm going to give you this money. Yeah, do a short notice main event." And then we ended up getting the Figgy Moreno rivalry. That and, ended up and that was because Figueredo ran through Alex Perez in one round and ma- didn't take any damage. So it would have to be a similar situation for Alex Pereira in order to make a turnaround like this. Which is funny because you think of the Figgy Moreno rivalry that we got from that and Pantoja beating Moreno. That's why I'm wondering if Moreno beats Royville again on Saturday, you know, Pereira can't go and do this, or if they want to save Leon for something else, which we'll talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. Do, would the UFC have the confidence in running Pantoja Moreno in Brazil, a flyweight title main event? Uh, it's, it'd be a rare move out of the UFC for sure. We don't see flyweight main events often, and I I would have to say we don't see that. I'd have I, they maybe they'd mix for another last minute option that has nothing to do with Brazil, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I couldn't see them headlining that fight in Brazil. Ne- neither can I. To. Neither can I. But all the scrambling and everything mm-hmm. just is confusing. Because if Alex Pereira does not fight in Brazil because of the three hundred move, they're the ones I feel the most for. Because they were expecting, you know, with all that Alex Pereira is doing, their guy was going to be main eventing, and yeah. then all of a sudden that gets taken away from them. Yeah, no, it's a tough situation for sure because. Obviously, the UFC was looking to make this Pereira Hill fight for 301, and now they had to push it up. And it kind of just, it, it's going to cause, like you said, more scrambling and more issues because now it's they're going to need to, yeah, it's going to be a ripple effect because they need to find something to get 301 to the caliber of card that Brazilian fans deserve. And we know Brazilian fans are a bit ruthless, so you can't really throw like an average card in front of them and expect them to be okay with it. And you know what? I'm actually going to switch up a little bit mm-hmm. of our topics. I'm just going to do okay. a one switch here because we're talking about the ripple effect, mm-hmm. you know, all the dominoes falling. And I'm wondering if a lot of this stretches back to last year because we never got Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler for any of these cards for 296 for 300. And now it seems like at the post fight press conference for 298, Dana White was being very, shy and saying uh i mean it's up to connor if he wants to fight he's got all this money and now that's it seems like the future of this fight's in question yeah no definitely it seemed like dana was annoyed that he was asked about connor and he said and what he said to the reporter was if you had that much money would you be sitting there right now 
Would you want to? Would you want to come to work? Would you want to this? It it was not promising whatsoever in terms of potentially seeing Connor fight again in the future. He really kind of just shut it all down and was like, "Yeah, if Connor wants to do it, he'll do it." But no, like it's a complete change in tone from what we've heard a little bit ago, and it, it honestly kills any hope I had for Connor McGregor returning this year and maybe even ever, honestly. And if this is the case, then I stand by everything I've said over the last year. Then Tough 31 was an absolute waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's a shame because, and Dean Thomas talked about this in an interview, um, in an interview, I forget the source that, uh, I forget the source that I was talking to. I'll look that up. Um, okay. But basically what he said was, you know, hey, I, you know, you would assume that with Roadhouse coming up next month, that maybe he would want to do a fight there to do a little promotion. Yeah. About this. Oh, it was Sports Not, by the way. Okay. And he basically, Dean Thomas slammed Conor McGregor, basically good, saying, good. you know, I, I'm tired of this and I'm tired of him dragging Chandler along. And I stand by again what I said a couple weeks ago that I think if Michael Chandler, you know, let's say out of desperation, UFC needs something for International Fight Week. And they offer him Islam. At this point, I'm taking the Islam title fight because mm-hmm. I'm done. I and I'll be honest. If this is the direction we're going in, that I never want to see Conor McGregor in the cage again. Exactly. exactly. I mean, it yeah, seems I mean, like, it like his will like to his fight world. is gone. Like it seems like he has no will to actually compete anymore. It seems like he's just kind of playing games. Especially it makes me feel horrible for Michael Chandler, who waited years for this fight and still hasn't really gotten anywhere with it. And yeah, I just and it just sucks. I'll be very- and I'll be very honest. I think if you're Dana White, you make it up to him by either doing a title eliminator or giving him a shot against Islam next, especially if Gaethje's fighting Max Holloway in April. I mean, it would be a little strange only because, you know, Chandler has lost to Gaethje, but he would deserve it. I mean, Chandler, I don't know how many people would be complaining about a Chandler title shot knowing how he's wasted so much of his career just sitting and on the sidelines I- waiting. But now that I actually think about it, it is weird, too, because Charles Oliveira never got his rematch, and they're going to feed him to Armin Sarukian at Deriander. Oh, God, yeah. Now, this this lightweight situation is going to get a little crazy. We're going to need Islam to come back and start defending that, that title soon. But that's the thing. You know, with his situation and all the scrambling, I'm wondering if some of, you know, stretching back to last year. You know, you think about 293. First mm-hmm. of all, the decision to still book 293 in Sydney still ruins a little bit of this and then this when you could have had a 292 in boston after top 296 uh in vegas at the end of the year like that was supposed to be ufc 300 international fight and it's just nothing at this point you look at the ufc scheduling scrambling situation you can't afford to wait anymore no you can't and from what i've heard and this is probably why dana got so annoyed when it was brought up at the press conference the UFC might be using some leverage here in terms of trying to get Connor to sign a new contract because I think he only has two fights left on his two deal. Yeah. And from what I've heard, there could be some contract negotiation talk going on. And that's part of the reason why we're not seeing Connor in the cage as well. So if that's the case, I mean, the UFC's just got to cut it because they're the reason we didn't get Drikas Adesanya already. They're going to be the reason that we don't get Connor Chandler. I mean, they got to stop being so greedy and give the fans the fights they actually want to see. And, and at this point, let, let's be real. I know Conor McGregor is a big money draw, but he has lost consistently since winning the the, the uh, lightweight championship in 2016. Yep. 
Cowboy was the only win. And and I then that's barely even a win considering what Cowboy was going through and, yep. and his you know how late he was in his career and that it was up a weight class. Yeah. So if at this point, you know, if you're the UFC and you're Connor, let's just end this. Let's book this fight and then let's you know, for your last for Connor's last fight, let's give something that the fans have long awaiting and let's go out with a real big money bang mm-hmm. and do the Connor nature trilogy. Yeah. No, I mean that would be that would be awesome because it wouldn't really mess anything up and it wouldn't really, you know, slow anyone else's career down in the process because Connor and Nate are both kind of messing around and doing their own thing outside right. of the UFC. And then, so. and, and, and then, and I think I talked about this then, mm-hmm. if Nate doesn't want to do it, then for the last fight, alternate option, you do the Connor versus Masvidal fight. Yes, you guys did talk about that. And I actually completely agree that if it's, if we're going to have a Connor fight at this point, make it Connor Nate three, make it Masvidal, make it someone where we're not going to have What's a guy like Chandler waiting. Yes, exactly. Why not? I mean, why are we going to keep putting Chandler through this ringer of waiting and waiting and waiting? He signed with the UFC after a whole career in Bellator and wanted to just get big fights done. And now he's wasted away over a year of his time, potentially where he could have had three fights in that year or something like that. Just waiting for a fight that doesn't look like it's going to happen now. Why do we need to put Connor in the title picture over again and pick him with contenders? Let's, you know, let's do especially if it's affecting the schedules like it is. Mm-hmm. Let's do some evergreens. Let's yeah. do Connor Nate. Let's do Connor Jorge. Let's put Connor versus, I don't know, somebody, you know, hey, if Islam goes on the run that he does, considering the rivalry between Connor and Khabib, let's do Connor Islam at some point, you know, as a non-title fight at like welterweight. Like, yeah. Let, let's have fun with this. Exactly. Why I completely you, agree. Why you to drag this out. I, I'm I'm I agree. I'm basically done with the Connor situation. I have yeah. been a little fed up for a while, but after this came out, it's just like, all right, just do what you want, man. I'm not I'm I'm not gonna yeah. care though. Yeah. All right. Let's play a little bit of like Zan and I do. Let's play a little matchmaker schedule. So UFC three oh one, as we talked about, confirmed for Rio, May fourth. UFC three oh two reportedly is being targeted June first, Prudential Center, Newark, New Jersey. Uh, and then the assumption there would be 303 would be International Fight Week Vegas at the end of June. I assume then 304 would, well, 304 would be in July. Zane and I were talking, maybe that's London? Yeah, the, so, card, the card that Aspinall would potentially headline that they've been talking about later this right. year. Aspinall, because I think we said earlier in the episode, Aspinall gone. Yes. Title. 305 in August. I mean, maybe you go back to Salt Lake, Boston, or you do some sort of other town that hasn't had a card in a while. Yeah. Uh, 306 September. Again, I'm wondering what the timing of the schedule because, you know, June 29th is International Fight Week, Mm -hmm. which means maybe July 20th, three weeks, so August 17th for 24th. Considering that, I'm wondering if that Nosha UFC card at the Sphere, if they turn that into 306 and they make that the pay-per-view. It's possible. I mean, I was going to say, I'd expect them to go back to Australia this year, but if Izzy and Volk don't have belts, it might be tough for them. might be tough for them to go back to Australia this year at some point because they're not going to have a headliner unless it's a rematch or it's, I don't know. Yeah. That's a that's a tough one to yeah. that's a little bit of a tough one to swallow. Mm-hmm. All right, three or four July, three or five August, three or six September. I died, and then the assumption, the safe bets would be three or seven October Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi, three or eight 
early November, Madison Square Garden. Yep, those seem locked in. And then 309 at some point December, Las Vegas. Yep. I was, uh, it seems like, you know, the scheduling for the rest of the year has really been, you know, able to starting, identify. Starting, the, the picture is becoming clear. Yes, yes, exactly. That's a perfect way of putting it. The picture is becoming way, clear and we're starting to see what's happening down the line. By the way, UFC, uh, I see November 9th is a Saturday and that's veter- uh, Veterans Day weekend. So you want to make my holiday weekend, which also includes my 30th birthday, a little special. Uh, November 9th, Madison Square Garden, maybe? Ooh, ooh, that would be that would be nice. That would be you would nice. help. That would be uh, that would be fantastic. Yeah, no, it definitely wouldn't. Then they could throw some veterans on the card and stuff, and it would really get you know like extra that. hype going. That would really be cool, honestly. All right, so let's play our little matchmaker. So we talk about three hundred one. They mm-hmm. want to do this turnaround. I mean, three, let's talk about what we were talking about with Leon because you mentioned before we start recording, Newark, New Jersey. Bilal Muhammad is a New Jersey native, so. Do they try to do Leon Hamzat in 301 in Brazil because they couldn't do it in America? Or do they wait to maybe, you know, Bilal's not main eventing 300, but maybe he headlines one, you know, shadow of New York City, Bilal's home. Do they do that? Yeah, I would assume that Leon versus Bilal is more, most likely the headliner for 302 at this point. And I would assume that the, the headline for the next card, 303, which is International Fight Week, would be Izidrikas. So it would kind of just be putting together the fights that were going to be the main event for 300 that now will just get pushed back a bit because they couldn't happen at that date. Yeah, and I mean, if you're not going to do UFC Africa with Izidrikas, International Fight Week is probably the next best oh, thing. Definitely. And also, let me just say, I am sick of the rematches. For UFC 301, I am sick of the rematches. I know we're either going to get Pantoja Moreno or Pantoja Royval, and I'm done with it, okay? Can we stop the rematches at Flyweight and let the young guys fight for the title? We have Muhammad Mohayev. We have Tatsuro Tyra. I know they're not ranked as highly yet. They don't have that marquee win. You know what? Neither did Islam Makachev. And look what we're dealing with now with Islam Makachev. So I don't care. I'm done with the rematches. I do not want to see another Brandon versus Brandon. (laughs) Another freaking Pantoja versus Moreno. Pantoja (laughs) versus Roy Val. I'm done with it. I'm actually done with it. Can we just get fresh blood in this division? It's been like four years now where it's just been rematches, rematches, rematches. What is up with the UFC in this flyweight division? They have good fighters, they have talent, and they just Dana keep doing rematches. It. And it's so annoying, man. Like I don't want to see the same fights over and over again anymore. I'm over it. So well, sorry, that's my little rant about UFC 301 and this potential listen, headliner. Listen, then all that needs to happen then is for Alex Pantoja to take out either Moreno or Royval, and you're going to get your wish. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. At this point. Um... All right, so if we're going on that, so 302, potentially Leon. three. If And if that's the case, number one, yeah, I guess UFC and Dana, you know, hearing what Pereira is offering, they may put their eggs in that basket, which is shaped like that head figure that they always <laughs> use for Alex Pereira. I, I don't know what they call it's that. The, it's like the stone head, Chama. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They're putting all, if that's the basket, you know, that they're going to put all their eggs in at this point. Mm-hmm. That, that can happen. And if that happens, by the way, I assume then the challenger for Rio in a Pereira turnaround like that, or even a Hill turnaround like that, would be as um, Magomed Ankalaev. I mean, it has to be. Who else at light heavyweight would have a stake to the title shot at this point? Yuri's coming off a loss. A bunch of guys are coming off losses. Unless... 
unless Yuri or, or Rakic does something crazy at 300 and they somehow swoop in and take Magomed and Goliath's title shot. Which like wouldn't surprise me because Dana it hates Ankoliyev. He hates Ankoliyev, man. So I, I, it wouldn't surprise me as much, but they would also have to be willing to make such a quick turnaround as well, which just seems unlikely. Yeah. Um, July, if Leon fights in America or Rio, then that would have to be, it would have to be Aspinall versus Gone then in July, because Zan and I have talked about, you know, if you're going to do a pay-per-view card in Europe, you know, whether it be England or France, I mean, Gone and Aspinall, that's a, that's a big fight. Oh, that's, that's the fight in my opinion. I mean, obviously Aspinall's talked about Stipe turning him down. The Jones fight doesn't seem like it's going to happen. I'd love to see it, but it doesn't seem like w- it's going to happen. I so. would love to see it, but what I would love it is if Aspinall beat Gone. They do a tournament style. Like if it's Aspinall beats Gone, Jones beats Stipe, and then they do the unification. Yeah, like a little yeah. four-man tournament where the winners just fight, and then maybe even the losers fight too. That'd be interesting. Imagine like a Stipe-Gone fight. That'd be Gone cool. fight? That would be awesome. I, I actually... I think he might retire if he loses to Jones Probably. personally, but I would love to see Steve Agon. Yeah, no, it'd be an awesome fight. I actually thought about that fight like years ago when like Stipe was the champ, Gon was coming up and everything, but obviously we never got it. That'd be a fight I'd like to see, but I don't it's very unlikely if that Stipe yeah. stays fighting if he loses. Well, my question is, and if we're gonna assume then October Abu Dhabi is gonna be Islam Kasha, mm-hmm. you know, do you try for Jones Stipe then? Because I assume, I don't know if they would do it in August. My question is, would you try to get Jones Stipe in August, Jones Stipe in September? Or do you wait for the original plan and try to wait for November MSG? In my opinion, you have to wait for the original plan and just do do the MSG fight that we lost last year. I mean, I went to that MSG card and, you know, it, it was awesome. But you could definitely notice that it took a hit without Jones and yeah. Jones and and, and I get doing international fight week because that was always in the talk too in the original plans. But if you're gonna do Izzy versus Drikus, that has to be a main event. Oh, a hundred percent. There's no question that Izzy Drikus would would be the main event. It has to be the main event with all the hype behind it, with multiple countries be involved in everything. It's just it's way too big of a fight to put as a co-main event on any card, basically. All right, let's get into one other news story. Second inductee now for the UFC Hall of Fame class of 2024, Frankie Edgar for the Modern Wing, and now is going to be joined in the Pioneer Wing by Wanderlei Silva, the former Pride middleweight champion, the first in- fighter in Pride to win the middle to win a championship and a Grand Prix. Then goes over for a nine nine fight stint with the UFC. Has had some legendary battles. His fight with Quentin Rampage Jackson from 2004 won that year's Fight of the Year honors. Uh, man just an absolute legend you know i i wish if it wasn't for the copyright law at this point i would be playing sandstorm throughout our talk here. <laughs> that that would be a great tribute to vanderlei so i mean vanderlei we all know him he's a legend obviously you know his ufc career was a little bit towards the end of his career at least most of his ufc yeah. fights were towards the end and of his, his career and his two fights in bellator weren't great either oh no they, they, those were some rough fights in bellator as well so that's the thing is the, he, the end of his career wasn't great but we all know vanderlei in his prime was the axe murderer his nickname held true i mean at one point he was 27 3 and 1 at at a division like light heavyweight and heavyweight which is what he fought at his basically his entire career i mean mm-hmm. a 27 3 and 1 record that's insane fighting these big guys. Insane. And he had wins right. over Rampage. He had wins over some very, very good guys. Yeah. 
he was he was insanely talented. Mm-hmm. He was insane. To, like, obviously, we talk about how Japan can be a little insane with their open weight stuff. And I think it was like one of the open weight Grand Prix. Here he is as the middleweight champion of Pride, and he's taking mm-hmm. on like Mirko Kroka. And the fight didn't exactly go well for him, but just no. the, the nuts on him, to the guts on him to just do all that. And his, you know, his rivalry with Chuck Liddell, his rivalry with Rampage Jackson. You know, yep. Rampage yep. still wants that fifth fight. Maybe in, like, you know, the exhibition boxing, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, of course Rampage wants that fifth fight. He couldn't beat him for most of his career, so now he's going to try to do it when they're both old. <laughs> But look, you know, if Frankie Edgar and Wanderlei Silva are the first two inductees in the Hall of Fame class of 24, considering the legendary names we had in the class of 23, class of 24 is really going to have oh. a lot of power on this one, too. No, for sure. I mean, I mean, they've been doing really good with these Hall of Fame inductions. I can't lie. I mean, obviously, you know, you could probably pick better, bigger names and whatever, but all the guys they've in- introduced and uh, introduced inducted into the hall of fame have all definitely have had a a good enough reason to be inducted and i haven't had a single complaint about any of these guys being included in the hall of fame for sure all right let's get into our ufc 298 talk i can't believe it's been all this time where we haven't gone to the card yet. <laughs> all right let's try to get through as much as we can Ilya Tapura, the new featherweight champion of the ufc pulling off an unbelievable and vicious knockout of Alexander Volkanovsky to become the new champion. And you know what? I I had predicted Volkanovsky. I'll admit I was wrong, but I will also admit what I said last week. I said, you know, if Ilya hits him with a shot, considering he's only a few months removed from the from the uh, Islamikachev knockout, I'm concerned how Volk will react. And kind of like that Volk fight, one power shot to the head, and he went down. Yeah, I mean... It was upsetting to watch after Volk's long title reign, after everything. I mean, I I knew it was a 50-50 fight going in, and I knew Ilya had a decent chance of winning by knockout. But just the way it happened, I mean, he just kind of swarmed Volkanovski and just just caught him once. It was a big five-plunch flurry. Only one of those punches landed well, but that one punch was vicious, and it put Volkanovski just immediately out cold. Like That's the thing, the Islam knockout, he... He was he was there, but he wasn't. Like he, it was a good stoppage. He wasn't there. This knockout, he was not there for at all. I mean, he was out bad. I mean, that right hand was vicious from Taporia. And I remember when it happened, me and my friend just kind of looked at each other like, like that for like ten seconds. Like we did, we didn't even say anything. We were yeah, just no, like, like I, honestly, honestly, I was like covering this fight, so I was like <laughs> looking, you know, been a back and forth thing, and I see him wobble. I'm like, wait, what? Like that was just complete sudden. Yeah. And so you know, like I'm really happy for Ilya Tapura considering the rise that he has had at featherweight Massive. to now being an undefeated champion. They're already talking about what this means for Spain. They showed all the footage of uh, I think it was in Georgia of him and uh, the crowd watching him and Marab fight yes, and win yes. their fights. And we'll talk about Marab in a second. So Ilya has a lot of momentum at this point now. And they're already talking about the potential of bringing Ilya over to Spain, potentially doing a rematch in Spain. But look, I would love to see. I think Volk has earned a rematch, but I'm really concerned considering the the two knockouts that he's had in like four months. I don't know. He needs to rest. I had the same conversation conversation last night with a friend. And to me, 
there's no argument that Volk deserves a rematch. You can't argue that Volk doesn't deserve a rematch. He deserves it. But we really do we really want to risk seeing Volkanovski get put out cold three times? Do we really want to like in a row? Right. Like, it, it, he's he's already, you know, he's already what one in three in his last four fights. Yeah. Imagine he goes one in four in his last four in his last five with three knockout losses in a row. I really I'm not looking forward to a rematch. I think he should take some time off and I think he should fight Mobsar, honestly. I think the winner of Ortega Yair should fight Ilya at some point. And I think he should fight Mobsar and just take a little bit of a step down in competition in a sense, even though I know Mobsar is great as well. He should just calm it down just a little bit and well, yeah. I think that stretches back to some of the comments he talked about in the aftermath of the second fight against Islam that he feels like he constantly needs to be in the cage. Yeah. And, and that worries me. It worries me as well because obviously we see what happens when he's overactive and especially after a knockout like the Islam knockout was. And, and you know what that really worries me, Pat, about his post career? Because if he's one of those fighters that feel like he needs to be in the cage, is it going to end up to the point where? You know, he's in bare knuckle boxing or something when he doesn't need to be. Oh, please don't even. Oh, God. That's a horrible thing to think about. But I mean, we've seen it happen now before. Hey, so, we've seen it happen. yeah. So I'm a little worried. And I agree with you. I think because now, if we're going to go back to our topic of like playing matchmaking scheduler, mm-hmm. you know, if, if October through December's locations for pay per views are locked up because of tradition, September. That would mean that would mean Spain would have to be September. Yeah. So can you really trust Volk to be? I mean, September. That's seven months. So maybe that is enough time to do a rematch. But you know, considering those comments and the two knockouts in four months, you know, like you said, is it a safer bet that the winner of this Saturday's uh, Yair Ryan Ortega fight ends up the challenger instead, or at the very minimum, do you run with the rematch? And if Volk can't go, you know. You have Bryant, the winner of Ortega, Yair, as a backup fighter, Wayne as a backup. And if Volk, for whatever reason, drops out, you have Ortega, Yair, the Ortega, Yair winner step in. Or if disaster happens, which, which you know, knock on wood. to always do. And Ilya drops out of Spain, then in an interim title fight, you get Alex Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega 2 or Alex Volkanovsky, Yair Rodriguez 2. Especially if it's Ortega, because the first fight that those two had was a barn burner, and yeah. I would love—I still would love to see an Ortega Volkanovski rematch. I mean, or, uh, despite how dominant it was for Volkanovski, Ortega almost got him out of there like twice. He had him deep in some jokes, and I mean, does I, does is Volkanovski going to come back the same fighter after this? I can't see. I can't see how worry. he does. I can't see how he does. Honestly, back to back knockout losses like that. I mean, we saw what happened to Kamaru after just one. Obviously, Volk looked Volk looked okay in that first round, you know? But I don't know if we're going to see that Volkanovski and, again. And and I love Max Holloway. He's one of my favorite fighters. But mm-hmm. And I would, and you know, Ilya Tapura is there. And even Anik mentioned on commentary, this really opens the door now for Holloway to get another crack at regaining the featherweight gold. Definitely. I don't know if that's going to happen, though, considering he's fighting Justin Gaethje. But it points back to the problem that I've talked about with Max Holloway. Yeah, maybe you might want to argue he's too big for this weight class, but we saw him in that first fight with Dustin, I mean, the second fight with Dustin Poirier in that interim title fight, 2019. 
he looked small for lightweight, to which Dana had even talked about, like in the post, I like said, no, he's going back to featherweight. He's too yeah. small. And and if I'm not wrong, Max is taller than Dustin, and he still looked like a significantly smaller fighter in that right. fight, just because, so, I mean, Dustin just looked too strong for him, in a sense. So, you know, it goes back to what we talked about with Max being the quadruple-A fighter, that he's, you know, defeating all these up-and-comers that you're trying to put in his way. He's still technically in his prime, because I think he's only 31 or 32. Yeah, something like you that. Know, it, so... But if you're going to have him fight a lightweight against Gaethje and he's going to lose that fight, you know, obviously you can't give him the title shot for that. But if Ilya wins in Spain and Holloway wins whatever other fight you'll give him end of 24, start of 25, you may not have a choice but to give Holloway another crack. I mean, I wouldn't have too much of a problem with that either as long as Holloway actually does defeat Gaethje. If Holloway loses to Gaethje... Well, I, be, said, I, said, oh. I said if Holloway loses, then... I, because I, I'm assuming Gage he's going to win that fight. Okay, but I'm saying if Holloway, you know, let's say he comes back end of 24, start of 25 against okay. another up and comer like a Movsar or something, and he wins that, like he's been doing against guys like Arnold Allen and and such. It's like, okay, then okay. do you really have much a choice? Oh, okay, uh, my bad, I missed that part. But I think you just do it out of principle at that point. I mean, why not? Because Max Holloway was the former champion. He beat all the featherweights that aren't. Volkanovski, right. basically. And so, if we're talking about, you know, because they talked about over the weekend, the three kings at featherweight being Aldo, Volk, and Holloway. And if you want to really rise Ilya Tapura's stock, then while Max is still in his prime, you got to match him and Max up. Yeah, I mean, and actually Max made comments at the fan Q&A before the fights this weekend that the UFC knew not to book Ilya against him because they wanted him to make it to this fight. So... He's building a little bit of hype up there for that one, too. And, I mean, a lot of people feel the same way, I guess, because, I mean, Holloway's been killing off all the contenders, and the UFC looks like they, they finally learned their lesson and decided to just give Ilya the title shot. So I think he's right in a sense, but it doesn't mean he'd win the fight necessarily. So mm-hmm. I, it's a fight I'm really looking forward to seeing. And, and, the thing is, and the thing is, if Max somehow does beat Gaethje and wins the BMF, you know, are they going to try to make that Ilya Max fight? Or will they say, oh, maybe Max, you know, hey, here's the, here's your opponent, Islam Makashev. Hey, I mean, oh. maybe they said, Max, you were supposed to fight Khabib years ago when Tony pulled out. And they, the, oh. doctors, the doctors pulled you from the fight. Here's Khabib's protege. Do you want to do this now? <laughs> oh, my God. The possibilities mm-hmm. are endless. They are. Oh. And that's... I guess it's very it's a very fun time at 145 and 155 pounds right now, especially like you said with Charles Oliveira Saryukin going down too. I mean, there's just so much going on in these weight classes right now that you really can't really can't tell what's going to happen. It's just up to the UFC to make a choice, and you'll kind of be like, anything is good. <laughs> like anything is good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, co-main event: Robert Whitaker, Paulo Costa. I have been a Paulo Costa hater for some time, but. I give credit on this one. This was a fun one. Oh, it was definitely a fun one, but I will say one thing. If Costa doesn't land that spinning wheel kick, I think we talk about this fight a lot differently. Oh, a yeah. Lot differently. I mean, realistically, Rob was winning the entire first round up until that kick. He won rounds two. He won round three. It was without that one spinning wheel kick with five seconds left in the first round. I think we're singing a bit of a different tune about this fight. However, since Costa did land that and he did very badly hurt Whitaker there, 
I guess he proved that he's still a top middleweight, but and and that's the thing you talk about a different tone. It could have gone a different way because if he doesn't land that kick, obviously we talk about Whitaker sweeping the scorecards. Yeah, or if he lands a second kick, we might be talking about Paulo Costa knocking out Rob Whitaker. We start to question Rob Whitaker's chin like we just did Volkanovski. Yep. And we talk about Paulo Costa being back in the title picture potentially. So. You know, this was one of those nights that could have fallen either way, but yeah. Whitaker got the win. And, you know, Whitaker and Max Holloway, Zan and I have talked about the same class, the quadruple A, that they only lose to the top five, the guys that go on to the champs, and then everybody yeah. else, they, they trash through. They run through. Oh, yeah, completely agree. And, he, I mean, Whitaker wants the Drikas rematch, too, so he's throwing his name in the hat as now another well, potential challenger. Well, that's the thing. If Drickus, you know, beats Israel Adesanya, then he got a Sean Strickland rematch and he got a Rob Whitaker rematch that you could or maybe have to do. Or or Jared Cannonier is involved in here too. Where does Jared Cannonier fit into all this? It's very it's actually very interesting because yeah. there's a lot that could happen at middleweight too. A lot of these weight classes are starting to get really interesting. Wait, Pat, let me throw in one other question. Where does Kevin Lee fit into all this? <laughs> <laughs> I uh I think somewhere with Renat Fakhradinov. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a name. <laughs> uh, Ian Machado Gary beating Jeff Neal. I- I'm going to be really honest. The Ian Gary has, between this fight and the Neil Magny fight, he-, he just isn't impressing me all that much. I mean, he absolutely dominated and outclassed Neil Magny. It wasn't a yeah. close fight, but, I mean, it's a fight he definitely should have finished. It was very disappointing that he didn't and finish one- that fight. This one was weird. Now, I'm not going to put all the crap on Gary because it does take two to tango. And Jeff Neal, Jeff Neal just didn't throw the trigger. I mean, there was it, something off about him. I mean, it was like in the last minute of every round, he finally woke up and was like, all right, let me land a combination or two. And every time he threw a combination, he was landing them. He was he was catching right. Ian Gary, but he just wasn't throwing. And when he was, he would just like jab, jab right into the clinch. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I hate to say it. I. I did expect this. I did expect this from this fight. I did not think this was going to be a fun fight. I did not think it was going to be that good because I I just don't see either of them being the aggressor there. And Jeff Neal had to play the aggressor, and he didn't do it well. And it led to Gary kind of just staying at range and doing his thing. And I get Ian Gary wants Colby Covington, and considering the trash talk those two have, that would be a lot of fight hype. But again, it brings to my point that I've been talking about of if you pair Ian Gary with Colby or with Kamaru or Leon or Bilal, somebody at the top or Tom Zatumayev, somebody at the top of this division. I don't think Ian Gary's going to be ready for any of them. No, I, I'm not sure if he is yet either. And I mean, we saw Jeff Neal hold him up against the cage for a bit of their fight. We know, we know that's what Colby loves to do. So well, I don't, I just don't. Colby, I mean, even then Colby also landed the most significant strikes in UFC history against Robbie Law. I think if honestly, I know he's talking about retiring Colby Covington. I think Colby Covington completely outclasses him. He definitely might. I definitely could see it like that. The only way that he doesn't, in my opinion, is if Colby really has lost a step and looks the same way he did in that Leon fight and just doesn't push and doesn't do anything. That's the okay, only way I see enough. it happening. Fair enough. But I do think that against somebody who hasn't, in my mind, proven themselves to mm-hmm. the top level like Ian Gary, I think that's a winnable fight for Colby. Oh, definitely. I definitely agree and, that. And and if and if Colby, and if Colby does show and if Colby does show up in that kind of way, mm-hmm. I would still have questions about Ian Gary taking on a Kamaru or a Leon 
Herbal Law. Yeah, I, I would as well. The, I think the UFC is so caught up in trying to make the next Conor McGregor that they're failing to see, you know, he's going to get a rude awakening soon. Yeah, and the scorecards in that fight were a bit weird. It was two three O's for Gary and then uh, 29-28 mm-hmm. for Jeff. So the scorecards were a bit weird, but they kind of made sense, honestly, because the first two rounds were so close. They were toss-ups. And then I feel like Gary probably did take the third round. But either way, the scorecards were weird, and it represented a very weird fight. So I think they were good. (laughs) Fair enough. We talked about Murat before, and man, probably the most impressive fighter on this card other than Tapura is Murat Bivalishvili. And I think... uh, Considering all that he did in that game, and considering, you know, the fact that he beat Henry Cejudo at his own game, he completely outgrappled, outwrestled him, picking him up and walking him across the cage. Matt Hughes, Frank Trigg style, <laughs> while talking to uh, Zuck in the front row. Oh, it was awesome. It was an awesome move by Marab. It was kind of a badass move. Like, it was really... Give him, give him the O'Malley Vera winner right now. Uh, Cheeto Vera winner right now. Dana said he'll get the title shot. I mean, Dana said he'll get it. I mean, he deserves it a lot more than Cheeto, let's be honest. I mean, the only reason Cheeto's getting it is because he's O'Malley's only loss. So, I think that Marab more than deserves the title shot at this point. And it was a, it was a very impressive and dominant performance. I was actually surprised that Cejudo ended up taking that first round. It was... It was, you know, he he caught Marab with a big punch. He took him down, and he looked really good to come out. But then I don't know if what happened to his arm. I think he broke his arm. They were saying on the broadcast or something like that. And once that once that happened, Marab was like, oh, you know, like he smelled blood, and he just kind of attacked and took him took him down. And I mean, I'm look. I don't know if I want to see Stahuda retire. And everyone's talking about well, the two losses, you know, at this point you might as well. But again, we're all failing to consider that. If one of those judges in the 288 doesn't screw up the fifth round and scores it right, we're talking about Cejudo as the champion in the division. Yeah. I mean, such little things could have changed the course of Henry's career. And honestly, though, it all comes back to the fact that he retired so early for no reason. That that I agree. I I think he tried to play the UFC, Mm -hmm. you know, because it was during a time where you know, Jones requested out because he because of the heavyweight dispute. Masvidal requested out over pay. Connor retired again because of pay. Nunez teased that she was going to retire. I think they. I think Dana seeing all of that. I don't think he ever forgave Henry Cejudo for doing that. For, uh, yeah. Retired. Yeah, no, I agree, and, and you can kind of tell if you look at the salaries that were released for this card. Cejudo was only making like 150k to show. As a former, as a former champion, former two weight champion, it, it's kind of crazy that he was making such little money for this fight. And 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 they didn't allow him to retire again because he said yeah. during the press conference, "This is Marab's moment." Yep. I think I think Dana holds a grudge against Cejudo. Oh, he a thousand percent holds a grudge against Cejudo, no doubt. All right, uh, opening card, opening of fight in the card, Anthony Hernandez submitting Roma. Uh, Roman Kapilov. This one I got completely wrong. I thought this was going to be a finish for Roman, and Fluffy Fluffy proved himself on this night that he's worthy of uh, ranking at the weight class. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of Kapilov as well. I I've been you know on the Kapilov train, thinking that he was going to hit the top fifteen, get going finally after a tough start to his UFC career, and. I mean that the grappling and pressure was just way too much for for Hernandez. I mean he kind of just stayed in his face the entire fight, kept pushing him against the fence, 
And I said, if Hernandez gets him down, it'll be a problem. But I just wasn't sure if he would. He got him down, and he was able to work that choke. And, I mean, great job by Kapilov, one defending takedowns throughout the fight, and two defending that choke off the first time. But an amazing job by Fluffy to be able to keep pressuring that choke and make sure that he was going to get the finish when that fight hit the ground. And Fluffy talked about his post-fight press conference about, you know, this is his first fight since tearing the ligament, which got him out of the original Nosh UFC card. He talked about being his worst enemy in training, and he needs to stay healthy because he wants to make a deep run. Now, he doesn't, have a particular pro- he doesn't have a particular opponent in mind because he doesn't pay attention all that much to the rankings. You know, he's not obsessed with it. Li- but I look at some of the names in front of him. Uh, obviously, I'm looking before they update um, for 290, the post-298 uh, results. But Chris Curtis, but he's booked. Paul Craig's in front of him. Uh, Jack Hermanson also in front of him. But I think the idea is it's going to be Imavov versus Hermanson next. Roman Dulziz is right there, too. So... I mean, Paul Craig, Roman Delziz, maybe that's next if you're looking, if Hernandez is looking for a step up in competition. All right, I think uh, Paul I think Craig Paul is Craig booked is right now, right too. Now. Oh, okay. But I think that's I think that's still a really good matchup. I think, I don't know. It, has, it should be someone in that 10 to 15 range for yeah. Hernandez next, just to really, like, cement himself as a top 15 fighter in the weight class. And then from there, give him the number five guy if he wins that for all I care. I mean, <laughs> he's fun to watch. He's exciting. You, know, you saw the, he had the choke locked in, and he's like... Yeah. He's shaking his head. He knew he had the choke. He knew he was winning that fight. He's a very entertaining his, fighter. And they screwed up his walkout music, too. He And he said after the fight, yeah, they screwed up his walkout music. And it's like, well, I, I was it's curious. hilarious. I, I was curious. At first, I was like, wait a minute. Why is he coming out to opera like Kevin James in the uh, uh, in, uh, Here Comes the Boom? <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what is this? And then it turned out he was the wrong. It's the wrong. Yeah, I don't know how they messed that one up, but at least it uh, <laughs> at least it got him in the right mindset in order to go out there and win that fight. So, well, you know the really story. About, so you've heard the story about Rory McDonald that somebody always different always picked his walkout music because they okay. didn't have the right contact information or something like. that. Oh wow, I actually didn't know that. That's hysterical. <laughs> Rory's a funny guy. Featured uh, prelim: Amanda Lemos defeating Mackenzie Dern. Big performance by Lemos, and I don't know. Were you also baffled when Mackenzie Dern and when the result was being read raised her arms off? I don't know what she thinks she heard. I, I don't know if she got so deep into her Brazilian heritage that she forgot English and didn't hear them announce Amanda Lemos as the winner. But um, she apparently it took like a couple seconds before like a little, it took a little bit before her coach said to her, like, Mackenzie, no, you didn't win. Like she was still celebrating for a bit in the cage there. Like she wasn't running off in frustration. She was happy. And and um it was mike bone i want to say mike bone's the source he said that she talked to her coach after a couple seconds and then they she kind of just laughed it off and then left the cage in like decent spirits and whatever well, at least she laughed it off yeah but i mean that was that's gonna be a meme for a bit now is Mackenzie derns <laughs> running away with her hands up in the air like that thinking that she won a fight that she almost got finished she should have got finished in i mean there, there's a very good argument that that fight should have been stopped so and um because you know Mackenzie Dern had an opportunity these last couple of fights, but man, her striking, you know, ever since she parted ways with Perillo, it, it's it's been bad. Well, apparently she was with him for this camp. Oh, I know, and then I hear that. Yeah, she was with him, but it, it still looked terrible. Yep, and no, her striking is um, her striking is not top fifteen level. To put it to put it simply, I, mean, I don't think her striking I, is top she, fifteen level. It never had been. But as she was getting her win streak, I thought she was making progress. The Angela Hill fight. 
the Angela Hill fight was the one that really showed like some progress, and she kind of just regressed after that somehow. And, Complete backtrack. Yeah. All right. Um. So, if you want to give this card a letter grade, Pat, like Xan and I usually do, what would you give it? Two ninety eight, right? Yeah. Uh A minus. I, I I enjoyed watching the card. To be honest, I mean the the start was a little slow, but it really kicked up when it needed to, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, start was a little slow. A couple of fights could have been better. So, I mean, I'll put B plus, but still mm-hmm. not a bad card. No, not a bad card by any means. But by far the best card this year. Let's get that out of the way. I mean, better than two ninety seven, better than any of the fight nights we've had. But I, but I still think you know this is setting up for. There's got to be some sort of explosion kind of card. Like we had two ninety, two ninety one, and two ninety two. Yeah. Something's gonna, you know, that you know, it's one of those things where it's like. It was good, but it still left me desiring for something bigger and something. Ho- hopefully, two ninety nine gives us that because I mean that card is ridiculous. Two ninety nine, oh three hundred, or something else. Oh, um, and and hopefully three hundred one will be really good as well. The UFC has a lot of Brazilian talent that they can bring over there to fight in Brazil. So, but let's talk about this weekend: PFL Bellator head to head. First card for PFL for two thousand twenty four. First card of Bellator under the PFL banner. So this should be. Something else, the main event on the PFL side. It's heavyweight champ versus heavyweight champ. On the PFL side, it's Hennon Ferreira. And on the Bellator side, of course, Ryan Bader. I mean, classic match of striker versus grappler and heavyweight especially because Ferreira has that one-shot power that he's just going to he's gonna put a lot of guys out with just one big shot. And Bader's been a wrestler. He's been around for forever, veteran. I mean, this would be a massive moment for both men, obviously, but I think I feel like it's a bigger fight for Ferreira to really prove that he is in the upper echelon of heavyweights out there and that he can put out someone like Ryan Bader, who's been dominating the division for a while. And that's the thing, because obviously, you know, the joke about Bellator, it's all, you know, washed up names or who or what, you know, but you look at the level of competition, the names that Bader has beat versus the names that Ferreira has beat. It's clear the fight experience factor goes into Ryan Bader's favor. Yeah, and Ryan Bader has faced up with Ryan Bader has faced off with some heavy hitters. And don't forget, Ryan Bader is a heavy hitter himself, too. He has quite a few knockouts on his resume as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is going to be Ferreira. It's his biggest test and it's his toughest test. Yeah. You know, now he has the one shot power. You're right. I just don't know if I think he, Ryan Bader is going to be ready for that. So I'm going to go with Ryan Bader on this one. I don't know. Now, everything on this card, let me double check, is three five-minute rounds. It's only three rounds, right? Yes, yeah. you are correct. So, I mean, if this was a five-round fight, I'd go with a finish. But since this is only three, I'm going to go with a Bader decision on this one. Okay. I actually... Uh... I, I'm with you on the Bader side of things, but I actually have Bader by TKO in round one. I'd say maybe round two, only because um, Ferreira's grappling from what I've seen is atrocious. It's honestly atrocious. So if he doesn't hit oh, Bader with something. So you think Bader's going to get like a submission or something? No, I think Bader's going to put him on his back and just pound him out, and Ferreira's not going to be able to Fair do enough. anything about it. I think it's, I think it's not going to be like a, a knockout by any means. I think it's just going to be a situation where he, like, Bader gets him like flattened out on his back or whatever. And then he like rolls for rolls to his stomach and is just eating punches and he can't do anything about it. Kind of thing. I feel like Bader's grappling is too strong. And if he doesn't get hit with that one shot while coming in for the takedown, I feel like he should easily win. All right. So I'm going to keep track of our predictions. So we both have Bellator up one, nothing here. All right. 
Co-main event, it's also champ versus champ, but little difference in the weight class. So obviously, PFL did not have a middleweight weight class for its seasons. Impa Kasaganai ends up winning the light heavyweight championship, but he does have a history of competing at welterweight and middleweight. So he's going to drop back down to middleweight, and he is going to take on Bellator's middleweight champion, Johnny Eblen, one of the best fighters, not at middleweight, not signed to the UFC. I think Impa has the great story that he has had, you know, and the one thing that concerns me about this fight now, our buddy Zan is going all the way on Impa. He's been on Impa's train. I've been on Impa's train as well, but this is a fight that concerns me only because he has looked so good at 205. I have interviewed him twice over the last year, and he has felt like he has a home at light heavyweight. He feels, you know, kind of at peace. He feels great ever since he signed with the PFL and jumped up to 205. Moving down to 185 again, even just for one fight, that does concern me a little bit, especially because. I believe there was a fight in Eagle FC. I don't know if that was the middleweight fight, but I think when he fought at middleweight, he actually missed weight for the fight. I'm not sure if he missed weight, but you are right. He did have the fight in Eagle FC that he lost in a close decision as well. And I, I'm not sure about the weight class on that. I could check real quick if you'd like. I'm actually going to, yeah, I'm actually on his thing right now. So okay. Eagle, Eagle FC. All right. So actually. Pardon me. He actually began as a middleweight, dropped down to welterweight, mm. and the mm. fight in Eagle FC ended up being at a 179 pound catchweight. So he missed weight for welterweight. Okay. But in the UFC, that the UFC was where he fought at middleweight because he did have the loss to Buckley. Yes. So still, but still, you know, when you're comfortable at a weight class and you're finding the success, you know, to go back down to where you were. Okay, but maybe not as successful. I, I don't know. Especially when you consider, like I said, Johnny Eblen, his grappling, you know, his grappling's great. His striking, he's just becoming an overall, you know, he's still developing, but he's becoming an all-round. Yeah, well, well-rounded, very well-rounded Johnny like, Eblen. You know how they talk about five tool players in baseball? That's, that's, that's Johnny what Johnny Eblen. Eblen's becoming. That's that's a perfect way to describe it, and I completely agree. And it's, it kills me on the inside, but I will have to take Evelyn to win this fight by decision. I don't think he finishes Impa. Impa's a tough guy to finish. I mean, you know, it took a Joaquin Buckley spinning hook kick to, to get him out of there for the first time in his career. And I don't, I'm not sure if uh, I'm not sure if Evelyn has that one in him, but he definitely uh, he definitely is good enough to uh, take on someone like Impa. And I think Impa is going to give him problems. I think it's going to be a closer fight than people expect. But I, I still think Johnny Evelyn will win a decision in this fight. And I'm going to be in complete agreement with you just because I feel like, you know, they obviously the PFL is not going to have a middleweight division for 2024 either. But it seems like the officials at PFL Bellator, they want Johnny Evelyn to basically be the face of Bellator at this point with how he is at middleweight. Makes sense. I mean, he is probably their best pound for pound fighter across all their weight class. Uh, Patchy Mix too. Patchy, I like Patchy Mix yeah, a lot. Patchy. He do. But well, that's the thing. He 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 and Patchy are going to be the faces of Bellator at this point. And neither of them are going to get a fight for like most of the year. That sucks. I know. All right. Uh, unfortunately, this card has taken a hit in its champ versus champ fights. Uh, so obviously, this was supposed to be. Magomed Magomed Karimov, who became a two-time welterweight champion with his win uh, in the 2023 season, taking on Bellator's welterweight champion, Jason Jackson. Magomed Karimov forced off the card. In stepping in, Magomed Karimov's old rival, also a two-time PFL welterweight champion, 
Ray Cooper III. Um, I'll be very honest. Ray Cooper III has not looked the same after becoming a two-time champ between the missing weight and the opponents that he has faced. It, it just has not been good. Jason Jackson has a whole lot of momentum building after the knockout of Amasov, you know, and I think he's got more tools in the bag. Cooper's chin, I have question of. I think Jason Jackson finishes him in a round or two. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. I, um, I haven't even really thought about a prediction for this fight. I kind of just thought, yeah, Jason Jackson, Jason Jackson, Jason, <laughs> Jason Jackson beats him. You know, he's just so much more well-rounded and just so much more hungry at this point in his career. And I know it like, sounds stupid because like, really, you think hunger is going to play a role? I do. I do. I think Ray Cooper has nothing to fight for other than a check at this point. And I feel like it, maybe, maybe he'll be hungry coming into this fight due to getting put in a position he really shouldn't have been in. But I really just think Jason Jackson's hunger right now, like he he really wants to prove that he is the best welterweight in the world, and he'll take on a middleweight for that because Ray Cooper is basically a middleweight at this point. And I will say that you know, the, this card has taken quite a bit of hits, and it, and it really saddens me because it's still a good card, still yeah, has yeah. some champ, you know, champions, still has quite the talent on it. But you know, if you're the PFL you maybe want to book a pay-per-view for a summer early fall where you can 100%. get Mohamed Karamov Jackson and you can get Cyborg versus Pacheco, maybe get one or both of Jake Paul or Francis Ngannou potentially to make the MMA debut on that pay-per-view card. So that way you can get, you know, you still get some of these other big name fights that you still have in the canon. And you forgot about Pinedo Pitbull too. I mean, you Pinedo have a, Pitbull, you yeah. have a whole card of champion versus champion fights that you could still do later this year. I mean, it'd be a big mistake by PFL, in my opinion, to not do mm-hmm. two cards, especially after the way this one has kind of fallen apart. And, and and I know for the lightweight, and I know lightweight might be a little tough to make because OAM retired, obviously. So you would have to find somebody for the lightweight champ versus champ, but there's still something you, you can work out. Well, well there was well, a bit of a rumor that Usman and Shabley were going to finish their Grand Prix and well, end up fighting. Well, that's the other thing. Usman Nurmagomedov also still, I think, dealing with the suspension yes. uh, that he had to deal with. So obviously that take the hit. And you're right, because with all the Bellator cards that you're going to have internationally, this and Nurmagomedov still dealing with the suspension, this does open the opportunity to allow PFL to finish Bellator's business, finish that Grand Prix. And then we can make, you know, the winner of that versus Usman Magomedov, and then the PFL, uh, whoever they pick for lightweights. And then we figure that picture out. That would be the right thing to do, in my opinion. You should honor the Grand Prix that was started in Bellator and honor both the guys that ended up making it to the finals. And give them the $1 million prize. At the yes, end yes. <laughs> uh, this one's interesting. It's Bruno Capeloza on one side, Vadim Nemkov on the other. But this is not at light heavyweight. Vadim Nemkov has vacated that title. That'll be on the line, I think, during the first Bellator, full Bellator card in uh, March. Vadim Nemkov jumping up to heavyweight. He's talked about jumping to heavyweight. He's talked about chasing Ryan Bader again and grabbing the heavyweight like he did the light heavyweight. So this is interesting. And I think Bruno Capeloza you know, good PFL heavyweight talent. It's a good test for Vadim, but I think Vadim, with his grappling, he might have this one. It's really tough for me to say because Nemkov is a beast, and he's a lot better technically and skills. I guess the only concern I have is maybe the size factor. How is Vadim going to look? 
that's my big concern is Nemkov was never really even a big light heavyweight in terms of height and like you know he has a built body but he's never that big in terms of height and Bruno's a bigger heavyweight I mean he's only he's only lost to some really big guys himself so the size difference is very scary for me here but I think I still have to go Nemkov by decision just because he's so much more skilled technically and I think he has more tools and more ways to be able to win the fight all right, so Pat, this is a little scary. We're four nothing. We're both four nothing up for Bellator. Oh no, are we? Yeah. Oh well, let's no. See if, well, let's see if the luck changes in this next one. It's Tiago Santos, Yoel Romero. Uh beef versus beef, basically. Going to be power versus power. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean these are two. These are two of the biggest guys in the weight class. These are two of the biggest guys. That we've ever seen fight. I mean, they're both just massive human beings, and I don't know. I just I think it's pretty interesting when you have a guy like Romero at forty plus years old, forty five he is now, and you have a guy like Tiago Santos who's also at the end of his career. Like it, it sucks that it fights happening now, but I feel like it also is a great time to see them fight because honestly, I have no clue what's going to happen. I would have to lean Romero taking this fight by a decision i guess but this really could go either way and they're both just going to go in there and just throw everything they have i think they're just going to throw up start throwing bombs out there so i think this fight and the next fight we're going to talk about is pfl's best chances of getting a win but like you like you said i can't really i'm not strong in this prediction because this Mm -hmm. one can go either way with how both of them are Mm -hmm. uh especially because you know both of them also are a little down from the point where they were at the UFC as title challengers. Um, I'll go with Romero as well by a mm-hmm. close decision. Yeah. But this yeah. is one that I could totally see Santos winning too. Yeah, uh, I agree. The pay-per-view opener though. Oh man, this I think this is the fight I'm most looking forward to. Clay Collard and AJ McKee. This one needs a lot more attention than it's getting. I completely agree. This is going to be one of the better stylistic matchups on the entire card. And I feel like Clay Collard is just going to keep pushing that pressure and he's going to force AJ to basically take him down. And it's going to be interesting to see if AJ can get him down. I I do think he probably will, but it depends on if he can keep him down and submit him from there. Because if not, Collard's probably going to put some heavy pressure on him on the feet and he's going to make McKee work for it. I am going to end up picking AJ McKee in this fight to win. I'm going to say, I'm going to say second round submission. I'm going to say AJ pulls some tricks out of his bag when he gets collared to the floor and gets him out of there. But this is one that AJ could very easily lose if he's not careful. And if he lets things get out of hand early, it might not ever go good for him. Yeah. Especially because you consider Clay Collard and the wars that he's had in the PFL and the talent that he's faced because he's been the guy, you know, that when those ex UFC talent go over like OAM and Shane Burgos, they pair him up with Clay Collard and Clay Collard holds his own against him, even if he doesn't get the win. But AJ McKee, you know, he is the perfect, I've talked about the perfect example of how a home promotion builds somebody up from their first pro fight to overall champion. Cause they did it. They took it nice and slow with him, allowed him to build. And then he started to run through some familiar names, veteran names. Grand Prix comes along, runs through everybody, beats Pitbull becomes a champ and it's only lost that pitbull fight and that was controversial yeah. some people thought that mickey should have gotten the nod in that one too so mm-hmm. you know momentum's a big thing so i'm gonna go with mckee but i mm-hmm. think this is a tough fight for him i think clay collard has every right you know that he 
if you picked Clay Collard, I wouldn't go against it. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be my pick for the fight of the night. Okay. And I think this is one that you need to watch out for. Yeah. And service is not good. We went all Bellator on the main card. This is not good for PFL. No, this is not good at all. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, they definitely could win a couple of these matchups. Don't get me wrong, but. I feel like, you know, losing Pinedo, who I thought would have beat Pitbull. I was going to pick Pinedo had that fight still been on. Underdog story of the year. Yeah, that would have topped it. And if Magomed Karimov was fighting Jason Jackson, I I would have picked Magomed Karimov. I probably would have picked Magomed Karimov as well. So it's like PFL losing these fights has only hurt them in terms of the amount of fights they could potentially win on this card. The return of Clarissa Shields as she takes on Kelsey DeSantis. We haven't seen Clarissa Shields in the PFL since 2021. She had her third round TKO against Brittany Elkin and then lost to Abigail Montez, the mm-hmm. split, the controversial split decision, which I don't think should have been a split. Um, so, I mean, again, this fight's going to be at 165, which originally I thought was a shot at the UFC with some 165 talks, but apparently Clarissa wasn't going to make women's lightweight. So they bumped it up, and Kelsey DeSantis had said some words mm-hmm. about this. Yeah, DeSantis didn't seem pretty happy that she uh, she had to accept a fight up a weight class. And let's be real, it doesn't seem like she has much pull here. Obviously, Clarissa's, Clarissa's the A-side in this fight. So I feel like Kelsey just had to do whatever she could to keep this fight on. And I feel like she was pissed off at the fact that she had to take this fight at 165 pounds. That said, I mean, the question is, is all this time away in the sport? Because Clarissa Shields, her striking can never be questioned as a undisputed champion at middleweight and light middleweight mm-hmm. but you know is kelsey DeSantis going to try to grapple her this whole time is clarissa shield ready for that after all this time away i don't know i mean if she gets grappled she'll probably lose it just depends on you know how good her takedown defense is i guess which it wasn't great the last time we saw it but she has been out of the cage for a bit so maybe that's something she's been very much working on and maybe maybe she takes this win i don't know uh, unless she's just hoping that the power could lead her to a victory and you know maybe it can i don't have great feelings about this one as i do say kayla harrison going over to the ufc yeah but yeah. I'll, I'll i'll go with shields i'll go she manages to get the job done maybe a split maybe a split decision maybe a unanimous decision you know i don't know i don't really know kelsey the how much power that she can take and if shields is going to really bring that power that she does in the boxing cage i mean the boxing ring but regardless I uh, I think I'm going to take Shields by decision as well. I feel like that's a fairly safe pick in a sense, but I feel like it, it, it definitely could be the result. I mean, DeSantis has lost by decision twice in both of her losses. So, All right, let's look at UFC Mexico City. couple of big fights here. We talked about this one earlier. Brandon Moreno, Brandon Royville, the winner projected to challenge Alex Pantoja for the flyweight title in the co-main event of 301 in Brazil. Uh Moreno and Royval have also faced each other in the past. Moreno ended up getting the win, finishing Royval in that fight. I've been a Brandon Royval supporter since, you know, his LFA days. And I said that when he was the LFA champ, I said he is going to be in the UFC and he's going to do big things. And he has. It's just a matter of he has been, you know, AAA. He hasn't been able to get that big win to give him into the contention. Now, is he going to be prepared for Moreno this time around? I think so, but I don't know. I feel like Moreno is just too talented that I think he's going to give Royville problems. And 
I, I don't know. I don't know if this one's going to go to a decision. Now, he finished Royval the first time pretty early. I'll give Royval a couple more rounds, but I think this goes Moreno third round finish. Okay. I um I also I also want to point out this was supposed to be Amir Albazi versus Brandon Moreno. Brandon Royval did step in on short notice to to fill in for Albazi's injury, and I I just I know the first fight there was an injury that led to the stoppage and everything, but I I just think Moreno is probably the better fighter. I think you'll probably get it done, maybe by decision, but I want to say round four he gets it done by submission. I think actually, I think he'll probably. Okay. I think he might pull out like a late submission over Roy Val, and I, I don't think he's going to be in much trouble throughout the fight. I know Roy Val's dangerous, but mm-hmm. he, I think Moreno's slick enough that he'll be able to stay out of danger for most of the fight and then find a late finish. Fine, fine prediction by me. Uh, and and that sucks because Amir Albazi. You talk about needing other names, you know, in the title picture. Amir Albazi could have is also one of those names and. He will get his due when he gets off the injury, but it's just a shame that injury kind of plays a mess here. Yeah, no, it kind of ruined everything for the flyweight division, if you want my honesty, because if if, if Moreno beat Albazi, I would be more apt to seeing him fight Pantoja again, but a rematch with Roy Val doesn't really give me a reason to want to see him fight Pantoja again. And then co-main event, also worth talking about Brian Ortega, Yaya Rodriguez, because we have featherweight title eliminator potential in there. You know, had Volk won against Tapura, you could have argued whoever wins won this fight would get a rematch with Volk. Um, but obviously with Tapura now, things are a little more, you know, complicated. We talked about the scenarios. You know, maybe the winner serves as a backup to a rematch in Spain. Or maybe the winner, if Volk needs to take excessive time off, the winner is Tapura's first title defense. The thing about this, I don't know what Twitter account I was following, but they had a whole thing about UFC fighters. You know, have they gone to Mexico City, you know, to acclimate to the elevation and whatnot? Somebody said Ortega's still in California, which question, you know, that that's a flag. That's a red flag, if that's true. Yeah, no, definitely. Unless it's like very, very Southern California where it's right on the border of Mexico, then all right. But if he's still like in the middle of California, top of whatever it is, I uh, I definitely think it is a red flag because the elevation in those areas isn't what it's like down in Mexico. And I mean, he should know. I mean, he has like Mexican heritage, if I'm not wrong. So he should know that the altitude there is different and that he should be preparing for a a longer fight in those kind of conditions. Absolutely. I still think this is going to be a fun fight. I think mm-hmm. this is going to be, you know, I know Ortega's great with his grappling too, but I think this one's going to be a striking fest. I think these mm-hmm. two are just going to toe at each other until one of them goes. Um, and I think I have more confidence in Yair Rodriguez's striking defense than I do Brian Ortega's, given some of Ortega's more recent performances. So I'm going to go with Yair Rodriguez. I think Ortega's a little tough to finish though. So give me Yair on a unanimous decision. And, okay. this to be, and this to be fight of the night. Okay, I uh, I was actually there for their first fight, and it was extremely disappointed with the way it ended and the result and all of that. So I I, I, I have more faith. I have faith this time around. Yeah, I have more faith this time around that we actually get a good fight. And um, you know, it might be a crazy pick because a lot of people don't seem to be picking him. But I think Ortega is going to sub Yair. I thought he was going to do it the first time, and I think that it got cut, his chance got cut short. Obviously. He was losing the first fight, but if you've ever watched a Brian Ortega fight, he loses most of every fight until he finds a submission win. And I think this will probably look similar where he's losing the fight on the feet pretty clearly and then somehow swoops in a submission in like the second round and gets the win. All right. 
All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Outsiders. One more time, make sure you hit that like button, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you get notified of everything here at the Empty the Bench Network. Make sure to follow us across social media, Facebook X, Instagram at MMA Outsiders ETB. Make sure to follow the network, Facebook X, Instagram, and TikTok at ETB Network. Uh, make sure to go to our audio-only platforms, uh, ACAST, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, so much more. If you are listening on those platforms, make sure to go to our YouTube home, youtube.com slash ETB Network. Uh, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. We're climbing up to 700. So we thank you all of you for your support. Go to etbpodcast.com. More information about the network, uh, contri- uh, blogs from some of our contributors and so much more. And big shout out to Wall Spreads, the network sponsor now network wide. Uh, and Pat, I want to thank you as well for all of the filling in that you did and all the thank talk you, that we you. had. I know it was a lot of talk, but yes, a lot that we had to talk about. Uh, yes, definitely. That's Patrick Dana, producer, Pat, Combat Sports UK journalist. Make sure to follow him on social media at Pat Dana MMA. I'm Tom Dano, contributor to MMA News, fan side at MMA. We'll be starting up my 2024 season with the PFL, with that PFL Bellator Supercard. Stay tuned for that. Follow me on social media at Thomas J. Albano. All right, we're out. For Pat, I'm Tom. We'll see you next week for another edition of the MMA Outsiders. Take care, all. Ooh, thanks for having me. <laughs>